millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi. Welcome to Maths Appeal. I'm Bobby Seagull. And I'm Susan O'Kraken. And the aim of our podcast is to make maths accessible to really everyone. Every week we discuss a fundamental maths topic. This week we're going to be discussing additive reasoning, that's adding and subtracting. And then I set, you know, I love myself a puzzle, a puzzle related to that topic. We also have an interview with a wonderful guest called Danielle Newnham. She's the co-founder of F Equals, an empowerment platform for women in tech. And then, obviously, we need a solution to the puzzle, so we'll discuss that at the end. But first things first, we wanted to say a big thank you uh, to you for taking the time to download our podcast. You know, it's early days for Maths Appeal, and we need to spread the word. So please subscribe, otherwise Susan will be sad. <laughs> uh, give us a nice rating and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and we're at Maths Appeal. Wonderful. So let's get started. Uh, today, the math topic we're looking at is additive reasoning. Additive reasoning is the relationship between adding and subtracting. It's quite a fundamental, basic skill in mathematics. And the way we set this topic out is we ask three key questions and we discuss, Bobby and myself as math teachers, how we go about delivering this topic to our students. First question we ask is, what do we first think when we hear about the topic? Second thing we talk about is how do we actually teach the topic? And then we talk about the main issues, the key issues that students find when we deliver it. So to start then, Bobby, when you first thought about the topic additive reasoning, what came to mind? So I'll be honest, Susan, initially I thought, oh, it's just adding and subtracting, which it is ultimately. But the word reasoning made me feel a bit, a bit sort of uncomfortable. So I looked up what sort of people thought additive reasoning meant. And the explanations I had were that children are trying to understand our world of numbers and it's about addition and subtraction but it's more than that it's about like how we join numbers mm. how we separate numbers how we look at the parts and holes but I guess when someone talks about adding and subtracting that is what additive reasoning is yes it's also it's the whole idea of the relationship and the inverse relationship that ad- adding and subtracting can have and understanding that I think a big problem that I've kind of witnessed with students is that they understand the idea of adding, so putting more to something, kind of making something bigger. But when it it's the reverse, when it's about taking away, it's where they kind of find things a lot harder. So they are able to count on easily, but not able to count backwards easily. And that's kind of, again, a quite a massive skill. Yeah, because it, growing up, we always count things. Like we would count, you know, one car, two car, three car. So you're adding upwards. Mm. With subtraction is that, I mean, as a math teacher, it's like they're both the same level of difficulty, but actually kids find the subtraction part more challenging. All you have to do is ask a student to count up in twos and they can easily do that, two, four, six, eight, and they can kind of go to 100 and above. But then when you start to get them to do it backwards, 100, 98, 96, 94, that's where the fluency totally kind of is lost and that's where actually a lot of difficulty can come because their counting backwards isn't as kind of secure. But that's kind of, there's there's the fluency in the words, but also it's the fluency in understanding. 
and ads of reasoning is such a key part of what we kind of do but also something that kind of can get lost especially in secondary school yeah like i was also thinking again when i heard the word ad to reasoning i thought of verbal reasoning mm. in schools because again children when they write reading and writing is part of verbal reasoning but there's like a like there's a slight difference between verbal reasoning and someone that can read and write and like in mathematics adding and subtracting how would you distinguish that between additive reasoning oh, i think so the reasoning part because i did a lot i did a couple of courses on this last year and the idea that reasoning is about kind of being able to explain your answer and showing and understanding whether that's through written or verbally so it's kind of the student being able to explain that by taking away they've decreased something and seeing the relationships there something as well as understand a lot of students i don't know if you've found this an issue that can kind of arise is the fact that when the commutative element of adding and commutative is where so if i do three plus four is equal seven it's the same as four plus three. So if you just switch it around, it's still the same. So if you, yeah, if you switch the numbers around, it's the same answer. But that isn't the case for subtraction, and that can really confuse a lot of people, especially kids. And that's kind of where I think a lot of confusion can arise with things like negative numbers, but also when it comes to doing you know written method subtraction. Yeah. So I think a lot of students are very good at written method addition because you kind of you add up and then you kind of carry forward, and it kind of makes sense. Mm. But when it comes to subtraction, where you're you've got your um, numbers you know on top of each other in the column which will i'll do a visual and you can kind of refer to that on our instagram page yeah when they write it down the whole concept of borrowing from your place value that's bigger really throws a lot of students they don't know how to do the written algorithm of subtraction because they don't really understand what's going on and actually that's quite massive because it's like counting back and knowing that the borrowing actually is necessary because you're just taking the one over and that that one you're taking is actually a 10 yeah Yeah. so like (laughs) again as a secondary school teacher I often just assume my students will Mm. understand this like in year 7 like I'll put some questions up and say oh let's get you fired up with a quick starter task here's some addition subtraction questions Mm. but then I assume that everyone's developed that concept fully Mm. which is sometimes perhaps a mistake well that's well because i've worked with a number of students say who are like in lower attaining groups and subtraction written subtraction is something that can really really scupper them and actually that's where visuals are really amazing so there's quite a few resources out there where you can do like you know 51 take away 35 as a column but you can do it with dean blocks so you can sort of see the 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 rods and you can dean blocks are the little um the the little yeah you know, so you've got one cube is like one and then it's in a rod for ten and then it's in a square ten by ten for a hundred and so the whole idea of you borrow from the tens and that's one rod of ten which means when you take it over for fifty one that that one that's a unit now becomes eleven and so they can visually see that that's happening I think a lot of the time that wasn't the case I also think a number line is incredibly powerful you know so when I'm teaching adding and subtraction it's that. F- with the the question, say, 4 plus 3 equals 7, right? 4, that first number, is a, where you start on your number line. And then the plus tells you whether you go up or down on your number yes. line. And then the 3 tells you by how many steps. And that first number beat is really important. So, again, if I was to say 3 take away 4, you start at 3, take away you're going down yes. the number line, and that takes you below 0 to minus 1. And it's understanding the difference between yeah. those two things. So a lot of students might think they're the same but they're just yeah. not. And a lot of my students, if they see a subtraction question, they always assume that the larger number has to be ah. first. Like when you said three minus four, mm. some of my students in year seven might have said that's one. 
because they assume you always have to the larger one at the top, sir. Yeah, yeah. And that's, but you're saying that as year seven, I know some year 11s, yeah. you know, who it's a similar thing. So it's the understanding of kind of the order of things as well. Right, so that seems like we are a good point to get to the puzzle. What you got for us, Bobby? So I'm rubbing my hands, you can hear that. <laughs> okay, so, you know, visual, visual again. So imagine there are five women on a basketball team. You can imagine, you know, on the courts, you can hear the, 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 the feet rubbing against the... They're quite uh, tall, are they, Bobby? They're quite taller, <laughs> they're taller than me, okay? <laughs> so there's five women on a basketball team and their squad numbers are on their back. So the sum of their squad numbers, which are all different positive integers or whole numbers, uh, this adds up to 50. So what's the largest possible squad number? Right, okay, so it's five So women. Fi- five women on a basketball team, each with a different positive whole number on their back, which is their squad number. Mm-hmm. If the total of their five numbers adds up to 50, what is the largest possible individual squad number? Brilliant. Got it. Okay, right. My mind is thinking. So... On that, we're going to now have a listen to our interview. Uh, this week, our guest is Danielle Newnham. She's the writer of books such as Female Innovators at Work, Women on Top of Tech, and she's a co-founder of an empowerment platform for women called F Equals, which also has a great fashion line. Producer Jenny and Susan met Danielle at the Albright Club in London to find out more about her maths journey and the story behind F Equals. I'm Danielle Newnham and I previously worked in tech for 10 years. I worked at a startup which was focused on personalised search, which was way kind of ahead of its time, and it ran out of funding. And my husband and I, well, my now husband and I, and another guy left and set up a mobile apps agency. And while I was working in tech, and particularly working in the apps agency, I saw a real kind of invisibility in terms of women in tech, Mm -hmm. which really affected me. And I felt like it was not a place that women could thrive if we didn't have female role models. So it became my mission to find these women and shine a light on them. So I did two things once I had a kid. I wrote a book about female innovators. Wow, um, once you had a child. <laughs> yeah, well, I did it on my maternity leave because I just thought, you know, it's one of those times like motherhood changes you completely. Um, and it became really more important then for me to kind of shine a light on women because I, you know, I had a child I was bringing into the world and I wanted him to see the world as it should be. Mm. And then the flip side, the other thing I did was I would go to conferences and be the only woman there. And I could see men wearing their startup tops with the logos on and being able to start conversations because of them. So I decided to set up a company that was an empowerment platform for women. So we interview women from different fields doing amazing work every week. And we also sell fashion with empowering slogans on. So why, what, why did you decide to do this? I mean, I know you said that you didn't see many, but was it because there weren't many? Like, what was the situation? Well, well this is the thing. So I decided to dig deeper because I couldn't believe that there was this dearth of women in, in tech. So I actually started really kind of researching and I found women everywhere in every single field related to tech. But what was happening was they weren't being covered by the press. And when I dug even deeper, I found there were two reasons for that. One, women were not putting themselves forward. And even when I approached women to say, I'd like to interview you for this book, a lot of them, even though they were completely accomplished and had brilliant careers, would often say, oh, I don't think you should interview me. I'm probably not the right person, but I can recommend a colleague or I can recommend my co-founder. So that was always really amazing to me. So I I made it a mission to kind of focus on, from the very start of our business, um, doing these interviews with women and kind of pushing them to do it. 
uh, and putting them up on our blog. And then also the empowerment fashion was really about being able to go out to places and, and start conversations with people. So the very first T-shirt we did, um, it had a swear word, which I won't mention, but it said, I'm an entrepreneur, <laughs> Lee. And it was taken off, Mark Zuckerberg had a business card that said, I'm CEO, Lee. And a girl in the States had basically worked for him, got these T-shirts printed up and we imported them. And they did really well because women would go to board meetings wearing them and suddenly it was like, it kind of broke the ice. But this was like four years ago. And so now, with all that's happened politically, it's become even more important. Mm. And our message has um, always been the same, but it's become even more important that we're doing this. And on the flip side, we always said from the beginning that we wanted our fashion to give back because we believe that... With fashion, you can spread a message about empowerment quite far and wide because people wear the T-shirts, they're conversation starters, mm-hmm. people talk about empowerment. But what we were understanding very early on is that we, there are places we couldn't ever reach. And so what we did is we partnered with a charity. What do you mean couldn't reach? Well, so that... our fashion is worldwide, it's global, okay? Right. But there's some people in certain countries that aren't going to buy a Girl Power T-shirt. Right. But yet we want them to feel empowered. So the message was still the same, but we couldn't reach them through fashion. Right. Uh, so we partnered with a charity called World Reader who um, give digital books um, through apps as well um, to countries that are in need of libraries. A lot of these countries and places that World Reader visit don't even have libraries. And so, yeah, so all of our proceeds from our Girl Power range goes to this charity. Oh, fantastic. So you're starting to see a change? Yeah, well, I, think, I mean, I think the fact is, what we believe in is empowering women and girls. That's, and, I, and, you know, I have a son, and I often get asked, well, what, do you, you know, what about boys? And the same thing I say to my son is what I say to others. In some places, women and girls are held back far more than boys. And I think historically that has been the case, even, you know, in the Western world. So for us, it's about empowering girls and women to believe and know that they can do anything they want to do. It's quite interesting you say this as a maths teacher, a female maths teacher. I've sort of worked with kind of a variety of kids, and there's a class that kind of stands out to me, we were saying, bright, Mm -hmm. but in the class there was always like three or four boys who always put their hands up. Yeah. And I presumed when I did, they did the first test, they were going to smash the test and yeah. do really well. Turned out the people who smashed the test were three girls who didn't say a word. Yeah. It was just so interesting to think that they were like, they knew a lot, but mm. it was kind of because they were good girls, they didn't speak. Yeah. So it's quite interesting that whole it's idea. It's perception, and, isn't yeah. it? And I do find from my experience, like I was saying about interviewing women, is that they will, I, I interview men as well. So I, I write books about female and male tech founders and innovators. Mm. Uh, so I've done across the board, and I've done people like who created Siri and Shazam, and, and a lot of the women that I interview, it doesn't matter where they are in their careers, they will nearly always say to start with, I don't know if you want to interview me. Wow. Or, or you know, And they're so humbled. But I always say, if you don't have these female role models yeah. in the press, in the tech press, or even on Twitter, yeah. then kids who are looking at different industries, and especially the STEM industries, they don't see themselves. And if they can't see themselves, they can't picture themselves being there. Mm. And that's a massive problem, I think. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So you're 
the issue is press, but is there anything you think schools can do to kind of improve um, how girls view tech and the idea of them getting involved in STEM? Well, I'm a huge believer that, that role models are important. So I always think that role models should be going into schools because teachers have a certain way of teaching things and they have a certain length of time in order to teach them. Mm-hmm. But I think if you could get children when they're young, if you get them at six, seven, eight. And you take in a female roboticist, for instance, who goes into the school and shows off a robot, which of course the kids are going to laugh and think is cool, and how do you do that? And you have a woman teaching them and saying, look, I created this robot, or I programmed this robot. That has a completely different meaning to the girls, because the boys are looking, oh, fantastic, it's a robot. Mm. But the girls are saying, oh my gosh, she created that. Mm. And I think women, you know, and especially young girls, they take on board these things. And like I said, I think traditionally you're always looking at you know, subjects a certain way, and if you don't see yourself doing that, you don't necessarily have the grit to go through when it becomes difficult. Yeah. You know, maths is obviously one of those subjects. It's not as easy as other subjects. But that's where the magic is, I suppose. It's that thing of actually the struggle is kind of the key, but then that's yeah. where the satisfaction and the real kind of reward comes. Yeah. Um, and actually, a lot of girls are good at it, but yeah. it's funny they won't say. You know, or they're not as quick to say that they are, mm. which is just quite interesting. Yeah. I mean, I remember even my maths class, and I was in top set everything, so I felt like everything was okay. And I wasn't really struggling with anything. However, in the maths set I was in, I was at low, you know, low in the top set, mm. and our maths teacher had this particular way of demeaning us. So I don't know if it was intentional or not, but what she did, maybe it was to inspire us, but it didn't quite have that effect. <laughs> so what she would do is when she'd hand the homework back out, she would have all the test results, she would hand them back in order of who oh, got the highest no. mark to the lowest. So. And there was me and this girl, and I feel like we've gone on to be pretty successful, but we would literally be sitting, like tapping the table <laughs> waiting <laughs> for like 20 minutes of the 26 kids, and we're like, okay, you know, in fact, why don't you just do it first, we know it's us. Aww. But it was like really kind of, it just, it knocked our confidence, mm-hmm. which is completely the wrong way to do things, because especially with maths, I think it's not... I, I say it, it might be a more difficult subject to others, but I think it's how people treat it. Yeah, I, agree. I think with English, if you stumble over a word, your your parent, your teacher, will go, oh, don't worry, you know, this is, and you learn it, and you relearn it, and you're not thought of being stupid. It's just mm. whereas maths, you're right, you're wrong. If you're wrong, you're stupid, and, and, and that's, that's the perception. And it's wrong. wrong. The, this idea of right, wrong. Yeah is so bad because there's so, there's almost infinite ways of getting to the, mm. to the right answer. And actually, the struggle is the key. And I think, you know, we put so much pressure on teachers and schools to be like, you have to get all of these children to a certain level by a certain time. Mm. But I think there needs to be also pressure on parents because I think confidence most of the time comes from home. Yeah. And I think if a kid goes into school and they don't have the confidence that is required for learning, then it makes it so much harder for the teachers because you have children who are already uninterested regardless of what it is. And like you said about maths, it, you know, there's a deep love of maths for most people if they really knew what maths was. Like, if I was to say to my son, it's not just two plus two, it's in everything that we do all day long. He, and he, he plays computer games. He, he would be go. fascinated. Yeah, yeah. football, yeah, it's, exactly. it's sports, it's everywhere. Well, this is the other thing, like, going back to the point about talking about girls and boys, I think historically it might have been that the men, the fathers, like had the bank accounts, and mm. you know, there wasn't that long ago that women weren't allowed bank accounts. True, right? So I think if you go down the line, you know, on the male side, they were more used to using maths, and so you know, I think historically we come from that point, and I think girls and women in general are more kind of discouraged when it's a difficult problem, only because of the perception that they're not going to be as good as the boys, and actually science has proved it's not true. Not so true. yeah. yeah. That's funny because it's yeah, it's about kind of sort of a shift in society and also yeah. um, 
a narrative because I've actually had girls say to me, oh, I'm not very good at maths, but that's okay, girls aren't. Yeah. And I've lost myself yeah. <laughs> in those moments of yeah. that you ever, yes. ever say that. But yeah. it's something that they're hearing, you know, yeah. they're hearing from parents, they're hearing from mothers, which is so sad. Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of, it's wonderful to hear you yeah. kind of encourage that. And also, like, what's the next step for you? Like, what's your kind of bigger, bigger goal? Well, the thing that we find difficult at the moment is um, my sister and I set the company up. And my sister's background's completely in fashion. Oh. And I, yeah, mine was in tech. So I think when we came together, it was really trying to marry the two and how we can use fashion for good and how we can use technology to reach more people. And so the thing that we do now is we really look... Um, so we started off with the fashion and the interviews kind of came secondary, but very quickly afterwards. Mm-hmm. And now we're focusing far more on the interviews. And in fact, in the next year, we're kind of slowing down with the fashion. We'll still have the Girl Power t-shirts, but we're kind of getting rid of the other stuff because we want to focus on engagement and community. And for us, like, you know, I always think of storytelling like maths because I think there is this kind of rhythm of storytelling which you know I again something I try and say to my son all the time that you know maths is everywhere and with storytelling it's really key because um you know we have a beginning middle and end and we've had our beginning part of our journey in terms of this business mm. and to be honest it started as a side project it, we didn't think you know I just had my kid my yeah. sister come back from traveling so I think it was very much that we were going to move on to something else and now we know that the next thing for us is this engagement with the community um, so yes, yeah, so now we're looking at a community completely different, differently because we never had the tools before. Ten years ago, if we tried to build this, it wouldn't have been the same. But now we have the tools to kind of see what our engagement is, yeah. um, and that's another great thing about maths because you know you're able to teach kids. You know, you want to do this, you want to do this, you want to do it. You know, it's all about engagement, and storytelling. Yeah. Um, because you want your story to reach people, and the way to do it is kind of how we're doing it and checking our engagement and seeing how it works. Oh, so big thank you to Danielle Newnham for taking the time to chat to us and to the Albright Club in London for giving us a room to chat and it's a beautiful place. Check out the amazing interviews with inspiring women on fequals.com and we really recommend her book Female Innovators at Work, Women on Top of Tech. So, Bobby. Really inspired by her. Um, And I like her concept of how we need more role models in the sciences and mathematics and particularly women and there are some people that would be the naysayers and say, oh, we should just let talent out and whoever's the best is the best. But if we've had decades or centuries of under-representation because of the way society's been mm-hmm. sort of like a patriarchal organisation where the men have the bank accounts and the men yeah. control the money and the finance, of course, women have not been brought up in society where numbers... I think it's only till recently where... Was it home economics was... Uh, was taught girls? separately yeah. to... Yeah, so I think was it before, sort of in the 60s, 70s, that yeah. sort of... As after the war, you had like is it school techs and secondary moderns, and I think it was you sort of did home economics as a woman, as a girl, and then you did uh, kind of house school like making practical things, skills, practical yeah. stuff, and so you, the the man of the house was a person in charge of the money and things. But that's what I think. Also, there was a narrative at the time that women couldn't. So the women weren't allowed to vote because they weren't able to manage the thought process behind voting. Yeah. And so this is like, and that's in the last hundred years. And actually, science has proven that that's not true. So this is in this like new kind of realm. So it's amazing what she's doing yeah. to showcase that. And we, things we really need. It was again, of course, uh, I would be careful not to stereotype. But mm. again, from my class experience, I've seen that boys in all you know, middle, high, low attaining classes would, on average, tend to overestimate their ability to get mm-hmm. things right. And with my girls, again, this is a stereotype, will yeah. tend to underestimate. And this leads to the issue where, in your class, you said that you had a yeah. class where the, the boys are always putting their hands up. 
they were so confident and I really really believed in this, that class that the first the first test that we do that the boys who were always talking were going to do really well and they were yeah. sounds all quite average and there was just these three girls who I hardly ever heard speak at all and they smashed the exams and it's that thing of like encouraging them so I kind of yeah. did really push for them to speak in lessons but that's something new to them because I think they they perceive themselves as good girls and good girls don't speak and that's kind of the shift I think it's that whole you know intelligent girls who are good learning to have a voice and not to say the boys that you know who are active and are engaged and are being loud shouldn't be I think it's actually good I think it's more about meeting them raising the discussion in the class and I think women who are good at something should try and get better at saying they are yeah. But it's, a, it's, it's, it's really it's a newness I think it's new for a lot of women who've got maybe a little bit of power to be like actually I've got something to say yeah, yeah and that's what's great about F Equals it's a real it's a really amazing platform because there's some women doing incredible stuff as well as some men of course but you yeah. to make sure that people are aware of it rather than people think oh actually I'm a woman I shouldn't really speak up because I don't think I'm as qualified as my male counterparts actually if you've got the qualifications yeah. and got the skills you should be out there on a platform sharing your knowledge and ideas but also and 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 not thinking about it as an ego thing it's kind of you're doing a duty yeah. for the girls in schools who have the capacity and capability to do it to be to do what you're doing but don't have the vision because they don't see anyone else in you know their lives doing it so it's kind of not just do it for ego, don't even do it for ego, do it for the, the younger people coming up. And that's kind of why the organisation that, that Danielle is like running is so necessary. I need to get a t-shirt, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, <laughs> yeah. we all do. <laughs> oh, so now, shall we go to the puzzle? Yes. Shall I remind you of the puzzle first? Please, I think everyone would like a reminder. Yes, so we've got five women, probably all taller than me, <laughs> on a basketball team with their squad numbers on the back. The sum of all their squad numbers, uh, which are all different positive integers or whole numbers, adds up to 50. So what is the largest individual possible squad number? So how, how did you get on with our puzzle this week? Right. So again, this one, I've, again, I think you are probably getting the idea that I quite like to draw a few diagrams. Yeah, I can see. Our <laughs> listeners can't see, but I can see lots of very uh, well drawn pictures. Oh, thank you. Um, I'll be putting all of our uh, solutions on our Instagram uh, at Maths Appeal. So I sort of did sum of five unknown numbers equals 50. I did them in little boxes and we wanted our biggest value. So what I did was, and we couldn't have any repeats, that's what I kind of gathered, you couldn't repeat any of the numbers. So then I just thought, we'll start with the smallest number we can have, that's an integer one, then the next biggest number two, the next biggest number three, the next biggest number four. So that's the first four numbers of our basketball squad. And then I added those together, found the sum of those, which came up to 10. And then I took that away from 50. So the biggest value we could possibly have is 50 take away 10, which is 40. Perfect. Oh. Yeah, well done. Good. Yeah, okay. Did you do it the exact same way? Yeah, the same way. And, I, uh, and with this question, you can actually toy about with the type of question. I could easily do a West Ham football team uh, <laughs> with 11 players and their squad oh. numbers up to 100 and the, ah. uh, the what's the largest possible number. So you can have different combinations, but the same concept of trying to block it out into two parts. One, you've got all the smaller numbers, which you had in your four boxes, mm. and then the large one. So oh. almost like you're that's what you've done. You isolated the... Box one, box two, box three, box four, from the other one, the, the, the unknown, as it were. Right, yeah. I mean, cause I suppose just thinking about it as, as like a 
variety to, to vary up the question you could do it could be uh all the numbers have to be even numbers yes. or all the numbers have to be prime numbers or something Ooh, to kind of make yeah. it more complicated oh i liked it because also it wasn't that difficult yeah <laughs> i mean in a way but yeah. obviously when you when you, you think of what to do you're like i did it i thought is that it yeah <laughs> Yeah, so I think people shouldn't be alarmed if they get something quickly because in math, sometimes people often will think, surely that's not it. But, you know. Today, it was <laughs> it. Oh, brilliant. So that's it from us. Thank you again for downloading this episode of Maths Appeal. Please help us in spreading the maths love by giving us a five-star rating or just telling your friends about this podcast. And our guest next week is Mike Ellicock, the Chief Executive of National Numeracy. When we met him, he's, quite, he's a really, really interesting guy. Some great facts about numeracy in our country. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm actually an ambassador for that charity. Oh. So Mike's a, a good guy. And essentially their organisation uh, was set up in 2012 to help promote and raise the low levels of numeracy we have in this country with adults and children. It's a great charity. Um, but before we go, it's time for us to go in a minute. Bobby, no, do you have any uh, maths trivia for us? Yes, the final bit of trivia. So in my book, The Life-Changing Magic of Numbers, go buy it, um, <laughs> here are sort of an outtake. There's a bit of trivia that didn't quite make it. On a, you know, roulette wheel. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, imagine you're in Monte Carlo or in Stratford. So we've got, <laughs> Stratford. So, so Stratford. How, so how many numbers on a roulette wheel do we have? 32? No. It's a bit more... Next, thirty-three, thirty-six, thirty-six, thirty-six. It goes from naught to thirty-six. Oh yeah? right, yeah. And if you add up all the numbers, right. naught to thirty-six, or so one plus two plus yeah. three, da, 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 plus thirty-three plus thirty-four plus thirty-five plus thirty-six. Yeah. Guess the number we get. We get six, six, six. Oh, the bad number. Is on purpose. I don't know. That's just it's a it's a freaky fact. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that, Bobby. Yeah. That's brilliant. So you've been listening to Maths Appeal, presented by Susan Okereke and Bobby Seagull. And the music's by Kelly Okereke. The image design is by Kelix Davis, and the producer is the fabulous Jenny Nelson. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.